Well, today we not only start a new season, but in that season we begin a new sermon series, which always brings that challenge. What is it that will help us in this season focus our attention upon the the right messages? And for this year, of all of the things that we could do, I decided that we are going to just echo the words of this Advent wreath. That as we light each one of these candles symbolizing the light that comes into the world through Jesus Christ. And we think about the words behind each one of those that they represent. Hope, peace, joy, and love. Why do we need those things? And more importantly, how is it that Christ brings those things when he comes into our lives? And that's going to be the focus of our sermon series this coming month. And we begin with the word of hope. We're going to be looking at two different texts this morning. The first from the Old Testament from Isaiah chapter 40. We'll be reading verses 1 through 11 and then jumping ahead to the end of the chapter in verses 27 through 31. And then we will also be moving ahead to a New Testament text from 1 Peter. Starting though in Isaiah chapter 40. Again, verses 1 through 11 and then 21 through 31. The prophet Isaiah says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, says the cities of Judah. Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for them. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Skipping ahead to verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be wearied, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. 
They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And then we go to the New Testament, to 1 Peter chapter 1. I didn't give the page numbers before, but this is on page 1,203 of your pew Bibles, if you were reading along there, and we will read the first 12 verses of this text. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ to be subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things in which angels long to look. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Congregation of our Lord. When you look to your future, what do you see? Hope. What a beautiful, wonderful word to be put on a Christmas tree and to place as an important part of our Advent calendar. Hope certainly brings light into our dark places, and unfortunately, that's where we need to start. The reality of our lives, the reality of this fallen world is that the world is not the way that it is supposed to be. That in our rebellion of God, that fall and that sin has tainted and affected each and every area of our lives. And we experience the difficulty and the darkness of this fallen world over and over again. There is darkness in our culture. There is darkness within the church. 
There is darkness in our families. And there is dark areas in ourselves. Some of that darkness comes from the outside in the form of frustrations and persecutions, people that harass or harm or, or seek to bring struggles into our lives. And other times that darkness is from within ourselves. Our own inabilities, our own failures, our own falling short of God's call on our lives. And hope in light of all of that darkness, is the promise that this is not it. That things don't have to be this way, that there is just not the possibility of things getting worse and harder time after time and struggle after struggle, but though there will be struggles, there is light. Things will get better. And there is a time that is out there just around the bend that God has a plan for and is bringing us toward that is better. It's that hope that was proclaimed in the two texts that we read for this morning. And I'm going to review each one very briefly. The first is from Isaiah 40, written at a very dark time in the history of the Israelites. God, for many years, had called and set up this nation of Israel to be a light to the nations. And they were. They had expanded their territory. They had claimed a land. They had their own king and their own kingdom, their territory that they celebrated and enjoyed for many years. And yet, they were not living in the light of the promises and the commands that God had given to them. And because of that, despite warning after warning and, and, and threat after threat, God finally brought enemies against them. And though they have thought that because they were the people of God, they would never be touched and that everything would be okay because he would protect them. Isaiah 40 is written to a people that had seen their nation crumble and fall. Their king had been led off into exile. The temple of God had been destroyed and turned into literal rubble. And they were living in a foreign nation, divided, separated, and they were fearful. As they looked to their future, they asked two questions that were looming over them and that loom over our text this morning. The first question is, had God failed? Was God not as strong as they thought he was? And had he been defeated by the gods of the Babylonians in their loss of battle? And the second question was this. Had they failed? Had their disobedience been so great that God was now completely done with them? That he was going to turn his back on them and that they would be destroyed? That they were going to be removed from the face of the earth and there was no hope of returning to a relationship with God? And the words of hope that are offered in this passage to these people at that time is a resounding and clear answer to both of those questions, which is no. No, God had not failed. He had not been defeated. He was still alive and active. And no, he was not done with them. 
That though they were going through this time of trial and separation and punishment, God still had a promise, a, a plan, a word of hope for their future. And that's what Isaiah 40 brings, this word of comfort. The comfort that the war was over, that the punishment had been enacted, and it was issued. The first few verses talk about a return to Israel, of them returning to the land of God, and, and God returning to that land as well, where they could, again, relate to him. Approaching Israel was always difficult because of the mountainous terrain. And this text talks about, as you're on hikes, right, the difficulty that the low land will be elevated, the high land will be brought down, and everything that is rough and hard, hard will be like a highway, smooth and clear walking, that the path back to God will be an easy path. And how is this going to be true? Well, God's word promised it. People come and go, kingdoms rise and fall, but the promise of our text is that God's word will last forever. The ending part of our text suggests that we can't rely on our own strength. That there's not a future because God was going to raise up some mighty warriors from the Israelites. Their strength always falls short and, and it never gives and endures long. In fact, God will bring strength to the tired when people rely on him. There was a hope for a better tomorrow if they trusted in the word and the work of their God. And those weren't just empty words. We can look back now through history and see how those promises were fulfilled. The people did return to the land. The temple was rebuilt. But more importantly, all of the Gospels interpret this text and this message as referring to John the Baptist, the one who would prepare the way for the Lord and recognize when the Lamb of God, who is to take away of the sin of the world, had come. And Jesus, through his death, his resurrection, is the one who removed every obstacle and made approaching God easy and smoothed out. And so clearly, this is a word of hope for them during a very dark time. Don't give up. Don't quit on God because he has not quit on them. A better day was still coming and would come when God would restore them and continue to fulfill his promises to them and through them to the world. First Peter is a text that was actually written hundreds of years later. The author Peter was a disciple of Jesus, and he had been an eyewitness to the fulfillment of the promises of Isaiah. He knew Jesus, and he had boldly recognized that he was the Christ. He had not only grieved the death of Jesus on the cross, but he was one of the very first to run to that tomb where he had been buried and see that it was empty. He met the risen Jesus, and he heard as he ascended into heaven that great commission to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, and surely I am with you to the end of the age. And with that commission, Peter had been doing that work. But even after the coming and resurrection of Christ and his ascension into heaven, this too was a very dark time. 
The message of Jesus in his gospel was going forth over the world, but that gospel message was being met with severe persecution. To the point that when our text starts, it refers to the current church, just like the Israelites in the Old Testament, as exiles of the dispersion. And the mentions in verse 6 of the various trials that they were enduring. Christians had felt scattered, harassed, and persecuted. And not because they had done anything wrong, but because they were doing the right thing. But into that dark time, even after Christ, Peter brings a message of hope. Instead of being disgraced and gloomy, Peter calls the followers of Christ to praise the name of the Lord and to rejoice. And they do this not because times are great and that things are going well, but they do that even despite their trials, knowing that as their enemies can and were taking away their possessions, taking away their freedom, and even taking away their very lives, that there were some things that their enemies could not ever touch. And what they could not touch was the salvation that had been given to them in Jesus Christ. That that was something that would never fade or ever be removed or taken away. And because of this, as they faced even these terrible struggles in life, they could endure those struggles with hope. Hope that because Christ was alive, that their place in eternity was secured. And so any pain in this life was only temporary struggle, preparing them for the eternal glories that waited them in heaven with their Christ. And so they were encouraged to live, to push on, to endure, to continue to spread that message to others. And things got better. It got better for them. It got better for us. It took several centuries, but eventually, instead of being persecuted and despised in Roman society, Christians were accepted and promoted, and the word of hope has gone throughout the world since then. And we can be so very thankful that they heard that word of hope, and despite the difficulties that they faced, they continue to not only cling to that message, but to proclaim it to others. That message of hope is not only a thing that encouraged the Israelites of the Old Testament and the church in the new. That's a word of hope that we need to hear in our lives today. I don't know how you feel about your life right now. Or when you try to look to your future, if you see it as something that you're excited about with a lot of great ideas, but... I promise you, if you are not in a time where you are facing trials and struggles at this very moment, trials and struggles will come. This world is not the way that it is supposed to be, and we will and do face that all of the time. And for some of you, you know that all too well. Some of you have to intentionally avoid news media because of the daily reminders of how evil we can treat one another, the wickedness of the ideologies that are being promoted and encouraged, the, the way that we can brutalize and harm one another, and it is just so discouraging. And you would not be wrong to suggest that we are living in some dark times in our culture. 
And what is true in our culture is true within the church. On Thanksgiving, this Thursday, we had an opportunity to praise God. And we, as a congregation here in Escalon, are so very blessed to have a church where we are excited about what God is doing in us right now and where he is leading us in the future. But the sad reality is that that is actually probably rare in the Western church today. And there are hundreds, if not thousands, of churches all across our nation that gather with a looming question, how much longer? As the congregation gets older and older and the sanctuary gets emptier and emptier, how much longer can we continue to keep our doors open? As we see our family members move or fade away from their relationship with the Lord. As we see words of the culture infiltrate. Instead of looking to God's word, we look to the, the trends of society to try to find hope. And it doesn't work. And you would not be wrong to say that our church, the church, is facing some dark times. And then we have our families. Look out on this congregation every Sunday. And today I see the glow of these trees illuminating off of your faces. And yet I know behind those faces some of the stories of the darkness that you carry. For those marriages that are barely holding on. Or those that have been lost. And the pain that that costs. For the grief, the loss of someone you love so very desperately and their absence continues to be felt day after day, year after year, never seems to get filled. For the financial concerns about how it is that you're going to keep making the payments that are there and that debt that is looming over you and then to see things fall apart, there's that anxiety of how are we going to keep going? The struggles with your kids and watching them make choices that break your heart, knowing that the path that they are walking is just a path that is going to bring them more pain, more hurt, and difficulty. I know the stories. I pray for you over and over again. And I know that there are many who are going through dark times. And I know I don't know it all. In fact, I know I hardly know the beginning of it. That behind your faces, there are those that know of their own internal struggle that they think nobody else knows about. And there's that anxiety and fear. When will I be found out? When will I be discovered? When will all of this come crashing down? Those battles that you fight all of the time and yet fall over and over again and you want victory over, but you cannot and have not yet found. And it seems like you are getting more and more discouraged. And in those difficult and dark times, it can be easy to begin to lose hope. And that is a very dangerous thing. 
In my preparations for this sermon, I, I thought of and, and read many stories of, of what hope does for people. And while I couldn't find one that I really wanted to share, history is littered with examples of people living through the darkest, hardest of times, imprisoned, beaten, engaged in all kinds of battles and wars internally and externally. And yet, because they had hope, they were able to endure and they survived far beyond what anyone would have thought imaginable because they looked to the future and they said, things will get better. But the opposite is also true. That when people started to lose hope, when they didn't see a pathway forward, when there was no light at the end of the tunnel and it was all darkness and they lost hope, they lost that ability to move on, to pursue, and to persevere. Or what also often happens is that in looking for hope, people look in all the wrong places. They try to numb the darkness with chemicals and addictions, only to find that instead of improving your future, it just makes it worse and more difficult. Hope is that powerful. And so the message this morning, as disappointing and discouraging as the words I just said, is to bring that hope and to remind you of the same message that was proclaimed to the Israelites in the Old Testament and was reiterated in the New and reaffirmed under Peter. There is a hope for the future. Because God's word is forever faithful and he has never and will never break his covenant, then we know that he always is enacting his plan. That in Christ, he has made the road back to the Lord and a relationship with him smoothed out and easy. All we have to do is accept the gift of his grace and forgiveness. And even as times are hard, we can still rejoice because God has given us, all who believe in Jesus, the promise of eternal life, an inheritance that never will and can never be taken away from us. And so today, Christians, we can rejoice. And you can find that hope that no matter what you're going through in your life, when you look to the future, you can know that God is in control and you can have that hope for several reasons. First, we have hope because Christ has come. As we look back at all of those promises to the Old Testament and the long journey of waiting and anticipating and looking and searching that both Isaiah and Peter talk about, we can recognize that all of those promises were fulfilled in Christ. And as he was born in that manger in Bethlehem so long ago in fulfillment of those great promises, it gives us all of the confidence for the future. Knowing that God's been faithful to his promises in the past allows us to look forward and know that he will continue to be faithful. We have hope because Christ is alive. That of all of the things that oppressed against God and against the church and against the message of hope that God has proclaimed over and over again, that is death. 
the end of our life, that we lost all face. And yet, in that empty tomb of Easter, the message is that Christ defeated even death. And that we don't look at the grave as the end, but we look at the grave as an entry into the greater and good promises that await us in glory forever. Christ is alive. He is king. He is seated on his throne. And therefore, we have hope. We have hope because Christ will come again. As the promises were made in the past, the promises are made for us. I will come. As you saw me go up into heaven, I will return. And there is a day when every tear will be wiped away. When there will be no more pain or struggle or hurting or weeping. Because he will make all things new. And so no matter what we face in the trials and the struggles of this life, we know that they are just preparing us for that glory with him forever. When you look to your future, what do you see? I promise you there will be trials. There will be struggles. There will be hard times. We are in a broken and fallen world. It is not the way that it is supposed to be. And there is and will be darkness that surrounds us. But the Advent season is a season of light. And that growing hope that at times can seem just like a small flickering candle in a very dark world. But it is there nonetheless. Our God is faithful. Our God is true to his promises. Christ has come, Christ is alive, and Christ will come again. And because of that, we have hope. Again, as I look at your faces, I don't know all of your stories. But if you are someone who is longing for that hope, who is struggling to find it, I pray and I invite you to come and talk with me. And we can point you to that hope in Christ that you can find that will bring you a, a plan, a vision for a future where God is and will do good and better things in this life and in the life to come. Toward that end, let's have a word of prayer. Father God, we approach you this morning because we need hope. And there are times in our journey with you where finding that hope is difficult. First of Lord, I, I pray in thanksgiving again for those who are excited about their futures, who look ahead with wonderful things that they are anticipating and looking forward to. And I pray that you would bless them with joy in the future. But I pray the same prayer, especially for those who are going through trials and struggles right now. For those that are struggling to find that hope and the reason to keep going. And I pray that they would find that reason in you. That knowing of your faithfulness and all of the ways that you have kept your promises, that it will encourage us to stay true. And as we have seen your promises come true over and over again, we would see them come true in our lives. If not in this world, just in the confidence of the world to come. An inheritance secured through your blood. Thank you that we have that hope. 
May we live in light of it. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen.